0: Romans chapter 7, verse 7 through 13. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all Manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me and and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. The text before us is is one that teaches us a lot about God's law and the purpose of God's law. We've spent the last several weeks looking at what God's law cannot accomplish. God's law cannot save us. We 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 can't look at God's law and and say, "Okay, I'm going to obey every part of it," and and as a result, I'll I'll earn salvation. It it cannot it cannot save us. We look at at God's law and we we see that that. It has a purpose, though. The question that comes up is, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Is the law something that's bad? And his answer is, certainly not. It's the strongest way to to say something negative in, in Scripture as possible. God forbid, absolutely not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. The Puritans, they, they commonly said that it was the preacher's responsibility to slay men with the law so that they might be raised up by the gospel. That, was, that is the preacher's responsibility, the Puritans would say, to slay men with the law so that they might be raised up by the gospel. I don't think that happens very much today. I think that that Puritan idea that they would say frequently, um, I think that a number of churches have gone in a totally different direction than that. Rather than slay men with the law that they might be raised up by the gospel, so many people, churches, They don't want to consider the depths of their sin. They want positive thinking. They want feel-good messages. They want to laugh. um, Rather than finding themselves slayed by the law. Rather than finding themselves dead in their sins and trespasses. the benefit of seeing that you are slayed by the law and that you're dead, you're slayed, you're killed by the law is that you might be raised through your only hope and that is in the gospel. They looked at that, the Puritans looked at that and said, That's, that should be the preacher's primary responsibility. So may God help us to slay you with the law this morning that you might be raised by the gospel. You think in scripture and you look at the law. It's a law sin and, and, and the answer is certainly not. God forbid, absolutely not. You, you hear God say things like, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That this is the first commandment Second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It's possible for those to hear a verse like that and say, okay. It's possible for the unbeliever to hear a verse like that and say, okay, the the greatest commandment is I'm supposed to love him. I think I do. I don't hate him. I don't think much about him, but I think I'm okay. And, and that, that's not the intent of that passage. The intent of that passage is that the unbeliever would hear that and say, the greatest commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with every bit of your heart, with all of your soul with every ounce of your mind and your strength with everything that is inside you that you would love him that that love would would be shown by the keeping of his commandments that the love would be shown by holy affections towards him that would come forth with praise and exaltation and joy that would be found in him that that love for him would make it so that the things of this world were not precious to you, didn't even come close to being precious to you in comparison to your love for the Lord your God. Your affection for anything in this world was nothing in comparison to your love for God. And, and for the believer as well as the unbeliever, you look at this and, 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 and for the believer, they read a passage like that. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And we we come to a place of, I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't, I I, I fail. I, I get pulled by the stuff that's in the world and, and there's times where I don't want to go to church. There's times where I don't want to open his word. There's times where I don't want to pray. There's times where I, I, I'm i not wanting to sing praises to him. There's times where my joy is not found in him. And I fail all the time in loving him like that with all my heart and with all my soul and with all my mind, with all my strength. I fail miserably in loving my neighbor as myself, which is the second commandment. I, I, it's, it's me first all the time. Not them, not looking out for the needs of others, not caring for them like that. And the the effect that that should have on us reading just two commandments that are are, are here in Scripture is that it should slay us. It should cause us to, to hear those words and say, I have not done that. I haven't done that. As an unbeliever, I did not do that. I did not love him. I loved the world. I loved my own flesh. I loved myself. I loved all the junk that was in the world. I didn't love him, and I didn't love him like that. And yet he says that's the greatest commandment. I'm a sinner. It's meant to slay us. When you go through the Ten Commandments, and you hear commandments like, you shall have no other gods before me. Our minds immediately supposed to go to a place of, but I do have other gods before you. I haven't cared for you, God. I haven't loved you like that. I've put all of these other things that were my priority rather than you. I've made gods of stuff. I've made gods of people. I've made gods of, of, of just building up a reputation. I've made gods of other things or I've worshipped false gods. Other religions. Here's all the things that I've done. When he says, "You shall not make a carved for yourself a carved image," don't make anything that that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. You shouldn't. You shouldn't do that. Don't make for yourselves carved images when we were in Europe, we went to several cathedrals, and and in a number of those cathedrals, there was just statues everywhere. And Jonathan, our little five-year-old, says, "Why, why, Daddy, do we not have those in our church? So I took him to Scripture and told him why we don't do that. But why do they do that? And so I took him to the to the fact that people do these things for reasons, but it's totally in opposition to what God says in His Word. Why don't we do that? Why don't we have carved images? Why don't we have statues that are are there in the likeness of anything? Um, because nothing nothing comes close to the reality that is found in Christ why would you make an image to to look at to to think of god because you're looking at the image when the reality is so much greater we're to worship him we're to 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 worship christ and to have it be where it's not Looking at a statue so that we could think more of God. We look at God and look at who he is. And who he says he is in his word. And obey commandments like this. Do not make for yourself carved images. You shall not take the the name of the Lord your God in vain. Don't take his name in vain, God says. And, 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 you, and you look at that and... and It's because he is holy and because he is good. And we're to think of of all of the times in which we have taken his name in vain. And it's to slay us. To read a commandment like that and say, I have cursed. I have used his name in vain. I have spoken of him like that. And it slays us. It shows us our desperate need of, of a savior. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, you shall not covet his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And so, and so Paul in this passage says, what shall we say then is the law sin, certainly not on the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. I wouldn't have known that. I wouldn't have known that that was something that was wrong unless God in his word said, don't covet. Don't don't look at what your neighbor has and say, I want that. Why don't I have that? God says, don't do that. And so... We read that and we look at our lives and we say, I've broken the law. How many times have I looked at my neighbor's stuff or my neighbor's life or my neighbor's family or my neighbor's circumstances and, and was covetous of those things? And so Paul says the law came to be a mirror to us so that we could look at at the law, see what it says, see what it is that pleases God, and as a result, look at ourselves and say, guilty on all counts. Guilty. The law is to be that which drives us to Christ. The law is to be that that shows us that we are in desperate need of a Savior. That we're not okay. You, you, you think of, of the majority of people and the majority of people would say, I think I'll go to heaven. I mean, it's it's like in the high 90 percentile. If you were to do a survey, which the, has been done, to say, do you think you're going to go to heaven? By far, by far, the majority of people in the United States say, yeah, absolutely, I'm going to heaven. Absolutely. Why? Because they look at their lives and they say, I'm okay. I'm not as bad as some people. I mean, I don't even know if heaven exists but if it exists i'm sure i'm going to go there and i don't think that hell exists if if it does exist it's only for like the worst people that are out there but not for me i'm okay and and paul's saying no the law came so that you would look and say i'm not okay i'm not okay i'm in desperate need of a savior I thought that I was okay, but I see the law, I see what it says, it acts as a mirror, and just the, the one, I, I fail to love him with all my heart and with all my soul and with all my mind and with all my strength. That's the greatest commandment, and I fail on all accounts. Therefore I'm guilty and I'm in desperate need of a savior. We see that it goes further than this when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, You've heard that it was said, You shall not murder. I say to you that whoever's angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. It's not just have you murdered, but have you been angry with a brother without a cause? Because it's easy for us to take the, the law and, and, to, and to bring it down to where we, we feel like we've obeyed it all. And, and Christ is saying, no, it's, it's what's in your heart. It's not just have you carried it out, but have you been angry like that with a person without a cause? If if it is, if if, if you're in that state, you're you're a murderer. Or you you've heard it said of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so Jesus is saying, it's not just the outward commandment. Have you obeyed the outward commandment and never gone all the way through with adultery? Is is it okay with to, to be in, in, in President Bill Clinton's place and say it depends on the, what the meaning of the word is is. I don't think with God it depends on the meaning of the word is is. You look at it and guilty. you're guilty. You already committed adultery in your heart. It's in your heart. If you looked at her and lusted for her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. It's, it's inside you. Why would Christ say these things? Because he wants us to understand look in the mirror, you're guilty. Look in the mirror, you're in desperate need of a Savior. He goes through and, and, and tells us things like, in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You look at it and it says, these are things that you are not to be. And yet, as, as, a, as a people, we don't want to hear the law like that. You look at it and Gosh, going through this, these these things, you—neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites—they will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. These are things that the law says do not do. These things. President Obama recently chose Pastor Louis Giglio to pray at his inauguration. A Pastor who, who is out of Atlanta, a solid pastor, and all kinds of controversy came up because Louis Giglio had said that unrepentant homosexuals, as with all unrepentant sinners, will not inherit the kingdom of God, quoted our text here in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. He says it's not easy to change, but it is possible to change. The Bible says God commands all people everywhere to repent. And as a result, all kinds of chaos happened this week. How dare somebody say that a homosexual will not inherit the kingdom of God? How dare somebody say something like that? And And so Louis Giglio just said, I'll, I'll pull my my name from that as far as praying at the inauguration. I, I won't do that. Presidential and, and inaugural committee said, quote, as we now work to select someone to deliver the benediction, we will ensure their beliefs reflect the administration's vision of inclusion and acceptance for all Americans. Now you you think of that and you look at it and and what it says is, the law says that homosexuality, homosexuality is an abomination. The whole law says that it's sin. The law says that it's sin, just like being a thief is sin, just like being an adulterer is sin, just like being a drunkard is a sin, just like being covetous is a sin. It's a sin. And God's word says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. But such were some of you, but God took all of those sins and, and And you saw it in God's word and you repented of it and God took those sins and he hurled them into the depths of the sea and he doesn't remember them anymore because they're gone. You looked at God's word, you saw the law, you saw what it said, you saw that you're a sinner and you said, God, please forgive me, a sinner. Oh, wretched man that I am, please forgive me, I'm a sinner. I see in your word, your law is so clear. I know that I fail on all accounts and such was me. Please wash me, please cleanse me, please remove all my sin from me. And God's law, acts like that but what we have within the United States is don't say stuff like that don't present the law like that that's terrible that's hateful you're saying that these people are sinners you're saying these people aren't going to heaven where we're saying no this is this is what God says God says that we need to repent. It's the most loving thing that we could do to say, here is the law, here is the mirror, look at it, look at it congregation, look at what God's word says because there is not one person who is here this morning who is not in desperate need of a savior. All of us are. We need to see the law. We need to hear what God says. Because if not, we we are just going to be in a place of I'm okay, you're okay, everything's okay. We're all going to go to heaven. God would never send anybody to hell. But we don't get to decide that. God decides that. We don't get to decide how things operate. God does. And he tells us in his word so that his word would act as a mirror so that we would look at it and see our need for the cross. So we look at this and... Paul says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covet just unless the law had said you shall not covet. The law is not the problem. The law is not evil. The way we respond to the law is what is evil. The law is not sin. It's a mirror that reveals our sin. In Romans 3.10, we're told there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. There's none that are righteous whatsoever. And so we're supposed to look at that and say, reason being, we're guilty on all accounts. In verse 8, it says, But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire, For apart from the law, sin was dead. So, rather than the law turning us from sin, it just made us desire it even more. God says that's the effect. You you, you think of the commandment, thou shalt not take the Lord, your God's name, in vain. You ever think about like, People who use the Lord's name in vain and call out the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, but do it in a way where it's in vain, why pick his name? Why not be like, Have you ever heard anybody do that? I've never heard anybody do that. Why would they do that? Why would they call out his name? And it's because God says, Sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. You think of it when it's sign says, wet paint, don't touch. I don't know what it does for you, but I won't touch it. I never wanted to touch it until I read the sign. As a youth pastor, we went up on a retreat, and there was a kid. This was probably, I don't know. Over fifteen, sixteen years ago, and 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 there was a kid that was up there with us, and we were everybody was jumping off these big rocks into a lake, and I, I said, nobody is to dive off these rocks, and and for sure nobody's to do a flip. Don't no diving, no flips. Just jump off the rocks into the water, and. So I had everybody's attention. They all were listening. And as soon as I got done saying that, this young man did a flip off the rock. He wasn't thinking about doing a flip till I said that. And he slammed his knee from like 10 or 12 feet up in the air on the boulder before he hit the rock. And I, first thing we did was help him get out. Then I said, are you okay? And And he was crying and his knee was was swollen. It was bad. But when I knew that it was okay, I, I was somewhat pleased that it hurt. <laughs> it's just like, God disciplines you. I had just said it. He looked at me. I we made eye contact, and he did the flip. There's an evil desire in us. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Um, in Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan conveys the idea that um, he gives this picture of a room, and the room's filled with dust, and, and, and there's this dusty, old, dirty room that represents our heart. And And then a man with a broom comes in, and the, and, and the broom represents the law, and he begins to sweep the dust and, and to clean it out, and as a result, it doesn't clean it out. It just swirls the dust in the air, and and... Christian just starts choking and suffocating on the dust that fills the air. And the point is, that's what our hearts are like. We don't... We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's in us. The dust is there. The law comes. It swirls it up and chokes us out. Shows us our need for a Savior. He says, I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. I I once thought that I was okay, Paul says. I once was in a place where I had just incredible confidence in the flesh. He talks about this in Philippians chapter 3. He he says, I I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, I I once was alive, but then the law, without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. I thought that I was okay, but I was not okay. I thought that I was alive. I thought, hey, I got everything in order. I'm a good person. I'll go to heaven for sure. But then the law came, and he goes, and that which made me think that I was totally okay, it just died, And, and, and as a result, he goes on to say, the things that were gained to me, these I've counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, also I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffer the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ to be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes by faith in God. I, I thought that I was alive, but the law came and I died, and then I realized that all I need is Christ. Everything that I've ever accomplished, all my own righteousness, it's just, Filthy rags in his sight. I counted as rubbish. I died when I saw the commandment, and I knew that I had been slayed by the law, and that I needed to be resurrected, raised through the gospel. I thought that I was okay, but I was not okay. I needed the gospel. I needed a righteousness that came not from myself, but... and. And righteousness that came from Christ who fulfilled all righteousness. That died on the cross for my sins and then gives me his righteousness. I knew that, that I was dead. I got slayed by the law. Verse 10. And the commandment which was to bring life I found to bring death. The law, the commandments and the keeping of them that he thought would bring him life. He says by his own deeds it actually brought death. He was totally unable to obey the law in its entirety unless he was guilty of it all. The law showed him that he was truly dead in his sins and he could no longer boast in his own boastful arrogance and self-righteousness. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy. And the commandment, holy, and just, and good. Therefore, so is the law sin? No. The law is holy. The commandment is holy, and just, and good. God's law has a good effect on us. It's good for us to look at God's word and say this doesn't please him. God hates pride. He hates it, when we sow discord amongst the brethren. God says, Here's the law, I hate those who are quick to shed blood, innocent blood. These things I hate. I hate I hate a proud look. And so we look at that and we say, Is that good? Yeah. Jonathan asked me the other day, yesterday, Daddy, who was better at soccer? You or Mr. Andy Guastafaro? (laughs) Or what about Heidi? (laughs) My my boy thinks I'm the best at everything. And I like that. (laughs) But I said to him, M- Mr. Andy was better at soccer than daddy. And the look on his face was like he got punched in the gut. <laughs> All I thought is like, why couldn't you ask me about Jeff Lawler? Why couldn't you ask me? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, Jeff. Um, I go, I go, Andy played for the U.S. national team. I mean, I... He's got a little bit. I could take Heidi for sure. (laughs) But the law is good. It's good to have an effect on us where we look and we say, God hates pride. He hates it. He, he, He hates adultery. He hates anger. It's unrighteous. He hates gossip. He hates it when people sow discord amongst the brethren. He hates these things. And the list could go on and on. Why? Because it destroys families. It it hurts people. It destroys marriages. It brings shame upon the glory of God. He hates these things. The pains... The pain that these things cause, he, he hates these things. And so he tells us these things, not because he's out to ruin our fun, but because he loves us. It, no one would say that I'm out to, that, that I'm just a mean dad because I tell my kids, please don't put your finger or, or that metal object into that, that outlet. Please don't run out into the street. When the law is given, it's given because there's a reason for it. It's for our own good. And I just encourage you, trust in him. When you look at the promises of God and when you look at his commandments, and he says, don't do these things. Don't, don't commit fornication. Is he out to ruin our fun, or does he love the institute of marriage, and does he say, do these things because this will will bless you, and it'll bless your marriage, and this is going to be something that's good for you for the rest of your life, and this is something that's good for your glory. I want to protect you. I care for you. I love you. When God tells us things, don't do these things. Don't Don't make it so that you're not above reproach in these different areas. Don't make it so that your life's filled with living like the world and and feeding on the stuff of the world. Don't do these things because there's results to it. The wages of sin is death. Whatsoever man sows, that will he also reap. There's consequences to the things that you you, you do. Don't do these things. And so when you look at it and and you come to a church like ours and we say, thus saith the Lord, don't do these things. This is what God says that you're not to do. Don't look at us and say, you're a bunch of legalists. We're not legalists. We're not trying to create a law that's outside of God's law and say, this is how you have to be saved. you got to do all these things that the Bible doesn't even say. We say, no, this is what God says, and it is holy, and it is good, and it pleases him. Live like this. It pleases him. You look in scripture and it tells us that God's word is good. His law is good. I'll close with a few verses here. Psalm 119 verse 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Verse 4 of Psalm 119. You've commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Verse 10: With my whole heart I've sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Verse 11: Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 14: I've rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. And lastly, verse 18: Open my eyes that I might see the wondrous things of your law. God's law is good, it's good. It's holy. Can it save us? No. But it tells us what it is that pleases him. It drives us to show us our need for a savior. And so you may be here this morning and say, you've showed me his law. I looked at it like a mirror, and I am in desperate need of a savior. Be of good cheer this morning. Whosoever comes to him, he would in no way cast out. Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. He is the one who has paid the price for us so that every fraction of the law in which we have failed in, he has paid the price for us on the cross. There is no sin too big. He took all of it upon himself on the cross. And he gives us his righteousness, the fulfillment of all the law. So that we could be perfect without sin, enter into eternity in heaven because of that. Mr. Milligan will go to heaven, if not today, sometime soon. And it's not because he lived a good life. It's because he believed in Christ Jesus as his savior. And all of his hope was in him. Every one of us will be at that point at some time. Some may not have time to think about it. But he had already made arrangements ahead of time. Total peace. Love in Christ. Because he has been redeemed. He has been purchased by the precious blood of Christ. And all of his hope and all of his faith is in Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this text. Thank you for the truths that are found in it. Thank you for your law that we're able to look at it and see our sin and see our need for a Savior and and come to repentance. Thank you for for verses that list the sins that, that are within people that will keep them from the kingdom of heaven. And then the sweetness of the verse that says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. but We were redeemed. We were purchased. Thank you that you came to save sinners. Thank you that you brought us to a place of saying, O wretched man that I am. Thank you that you slayed us with the law, that you might raise us with the gospel. You slay us with the law, and you show us that we're in desperate need of the gospel. Thank you for that. We praise you for that, Lord. So may we be slayed this morning with the law, and raised with all of the hope of the gospel, that we might leave this place with fullness of joy trusting and placing all of our hope in you. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.